Hello, new listener. You are tuned into the Sleepless Cinematic Podcast. My name is Emilio Tostado. I'm Julian Barthold. And I'm Madeline Johnson. And the three of us are friends. We all work in a midtown Manhattan music school, and we love talking about movies at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. It just kind of happens. Often we would do this in lieu of a good night's sleep. Me, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> certainly over here. And what you're going to be listening to is the first episode that we ever recorded of something that later got a lot more fleshed out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we recorded a number of these just to kind of find our footing to see what these conversations could sort of turn into and what we were drawn to talk about and in what fashion. And over the course of the first few episodes, we determined a series of categories which we're going to use to organize our later episodes. You'll see these unfold from one episode to the next, but this first one you're going to hear would fall under the category of a suggestion box episode. Uh, Yeah, which means that one of us, or at least one of us, came to the others with a movie that we were excited to talk about and unpack, and that at least one of us had not seen before. Which for this one was you. (laughs) Yes, I was the one who was not hip to this movie. Kind of blew my hair back. It was fun though. It was cool. It was a good good time to talk. And Um, I think we had just a really fun conversation and and we kind of realized that we were really onto something with this. And so it evolves over time and will continue to evolve, but we're really just excited uh, for people to hear our conversations about movies, starting with this. And thank you so much for listening. And here we go. Enjoy. Enjoy. This is something we find ourselves doing at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm always the one who has to um, leave early from conversations. <laughs> and so I was like, we should sit and formalize this mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we have a lot of fun doing it. And I think we've settled on an interesting movie to start talking yeah. about. Yeah. And that would be Darren Aronofsky's mother. Exclamation point. Yes. And it's also uh lowercase. Lowercase M. Mm. Yes. This is my understanding too. Yeah. Um, Okay. Not, not so, to be confused with the Bong Joon Ho film Mother, Mother yeah. or the Albert Brooks film Mother. Yes, also Mother, <laughs> or the J Lo film The Mother. This is true. <laughs> or in a uh, gender switch, Anthony Hopkins, The Father. The father. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> Just talking about parents here in a big way. Jennifer Lawrence plays a nameless young wife of an older writer slash poet, played by Javier Bardem. And she dotes on him, she makes him meals, she gives him ample space to work, uh, and has taken on the massive task of renovating and restoring his home, which in the recent past uh, was nearly destroyed in a fire. They live in this home, a Victorian mansion, secluded in nature, far removed from society, which is ostensibly a great uh, quiet environment for, uh, for someone to work and to be creative. But the poet is in a massive creative rut. And the worst kind, right, is he's unproductive when he makes time to work. And then he's haunted by his lack of productivity when he isn't working. He's uninspired. Yes. And and that has been really just plaguing him. Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, feel free to chime in, by the way, on any of this. (laughs) Uh, And it's in this state that mysterious guests begin to arrive 
at their doorstep, one at a time, kind of wedging themselves into their lives uh, in an increasingly disingenuous and sometimes insidious ways. Months later, as this couple are expecting a child, um, and after the poet has released his latest work, uh, their lives become changed when a sudden and violent presence descends on their home. The fate of their unborn child and their relationship hangs in the balance as the world that the poet's wife has worked so hard to curate is torn to pieces. Mm -hmm. Was that somewhat accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I think you captured it quite well and left some to the imagination. Very cool. I guess I would start by saying, of the three of us, I'm the one who has seen this movie most recently, but for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a couple days ago, I fired it up. Um, But you guys already have some opinions about this movie. I've thought quite a bit about it. And one of the reasons we're talking about it is that you guys are slightly split on how much you Mm -hmm. actually um, enjoy slash experience the film. I don't really know quite where to begin, but I did <laughs> I did do this because uh, I do like some research here and there uh, mm-hmm. when I start to do this kind of stuff. Um, and I told myself I was not going to watch like any kind of YouTube recaps, mm-hmm. any sort of YouTube analysis. Like I wasn't, didn't want to do that. Wanted to come in totally fresh, just feel it the way I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did decide to listen to Mark Maron's interview with uh, Darren Aronofsky, which he did in probably late, November, early December of 2017. So this is more or less right after the film mm-hmm. came out, maybe mm-hmm. a couple months or so after the film was out. Um, Darren Aronofsky said this. He said, quote, we knew we weren't making a crowd pleaser. This is punk. This is in your face. And I think it came out of a place of rage that I was having. He said, environmental, personal, and biblical in that order. Mm-hmm. Mm. And from the very little conversation that we have had, mm-hmm. I feel like some of that is are things that we're going to yeah, talk about. That definitely mm-hmm. comes through for me. Like when I think about this movie, I think about it first and foremost as a statement on our like environmental collapse. <laughs> okay. And we can get more into that in a bit, but that is like my takeaway number one from this movie. And then obviously, as you said, like the biblical allegory in this as well. Where, where, where do you feel this resonating the most with you, Julian? That's a good question. Um, and I think that definitely as we, as we talk about it more, I'm, I'm like already am seeing angles of it that I think I knew were there but didn't really consider too abundantly beforehand. I think probably the, the biblical allegory was the first thing that really stood out to me uh, watching the movie. I think in, in certain ways that um, it might be the most... Um, of all, so what were the three dimensions? It was the biblical, personal, and environmental. Correct. I feel like that might be the most transparent of the three from that movie. The just, biblical. Yeah, the biblical dimension, just from a first viewing. And this is a good movie for people who are credit watchers like me, because you see, it as the credits roll, that um, you know the titles of the characters reveal something, and that mm-hmm. I think particularly Javier Bardem's character, who is credited either as simply he or him with a capital H, where Jennifer Lawrence's titular mother is a lowercase mother. And, and so he's the only one to be capitalized of all the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, man, woman, and the children, and all the other characters are also lowercase in the credits. Yeah. Seeing that, it's a, very, it's a pretty on-the-nose um, statement that this is biblical. Um, not to mention all of the other qualities of the movie that make it so... Um, so I think that of those dimensions, that was what stood out to me 
first. Um, the personal element, I mean, I, I know there's more to be known about Aronofsky than I do, but that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have guessed from watching it. Environmental, but that, that would have stood out too because, um, well, yeah, I mean, I think you don't have to read too deep into the movie to see that the, um, the Jennifer Lawrence character is supposed to be the Mother Earth. Mother Earth, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this is just a, you know, a very, um, a very, maybe what the word I'm looking for is far reaching allegory, uh, for something that, you know, is, you know, contained within a relatively short runtime. It has a very, very massive scope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to really, um, you know, to think about it as something that reaches to be environmental, it makes sense. And when we think we were talking a little bit about credits and about punctuation and with the way that this movie crescendos towards the end and, and yeah. builds to such, such an extent, he's spoken about like the exclamation point mm-hmm. in the title being the exclamation point at, in the tail end of the film. Yeah. The, the exclamation point at the tail end of the film? Or just sort of like the, the fact that it builds to this exclamation. I got you. The same okay. way yeah. that yeah, yeah, yeah. the title does. Mm-hmm. Okay. One other thing, uh, like speaking to the um, anatomy uh, of the film, the outline of it, is that it is in the end a circular movie. That mm-hmm. it, um, it ends the way that it begins. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't know it's going to be that way until it literally ends. And you know when you see it in the beginning, you... Um, you do not know what comes before that, but it's portrayed as a cycle. And that's why I think this movie holds up pretty well to repeated viewings, Mm -hmm. because I think once you know where it's going to end, once you know that this has been a cycle for him, Mm -hmm. not her, because it's a different mother at the end. Yes. Um, But once you know that he's in this cycle, I think it's really fascinating to revisit. One thing I'll say that I thought was kind of funny and interesting uh, about that beginning part it was the choice of words. Like, I don't know if you guys remember the, the word that when the, 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 the female in the bed just sort of like wakes up, she turns and she sort of reaches and she's like, where, you know, who, who is, um, you know, she's looking for him, but he's not there in bed. Do you guys remember what he said, what she says? I can't say I do. She says baby. Oh. And that that's like the term of endearment, which I thought was like very interesting. And that it was like right from the very beginning is sort of, made to be or made out to be like a nurturer like right she away she has this unconditional love for him yes yeah like yeah i did i did find that kind of interesting what i will say so i i kept it very much from that personal um side of things mm-hmm. i to me it was very much a movie that was like uh like a cautionary tale for mm-hmm. just investing too much in like an insecure self-centered mercurial artist type, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I do see, and I'm sure we'll unpack the, the environmental aspect a little bit more. It, it just, it seemed like right away, everything was just sort of um, built sort of around this, this extremely unbalanced relationship. You just see she's like taking care of everything for him and he is just sort of showing her affection but in very superficial ways. Yeah, and she begs him like throughout the film essentially for her for his love but also in the sense of like when there are people intruding and she she begs of him like no, I like I want them to leave. I want it to just be us here in our home, like building our family. And he is always brushing her off. Like he always is putting something or someone else ahead of her. 
You know, he, he says, I think, he, uh, at the very beginning when Ed Harris's character comes mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's like, oh, he, yeah, he's great. He's great. It, I, the, every, the, the, the two of the characters were Michelle great. Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer was awesome, <laughs> yeah. too. But, like, um, when he, he comes in and he says, oh, my wife loves company. Yeah. And you're like, everything mm. that you've seen up to <laughs> that point is making you, it's telling you that, no, no, she kind of doesn't. And to be fair, she is a stranger to him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's shown repeatedly through uh, what he says and sort of how he acts mm-hmm. that um, that that there is this sort of this distance between them, um, despite the fact that they are married, despite the fact that she clearly loves him in this in this seemingly unconditional way. But he wants someone subservient to him. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. One thing I'll say, though, um, is that I, I didn't totally see this as a movie that was about toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. This felt a little bit more like a movie that was just like about being like self-centered and too caught up in your work mm-hmm. to actually receive and um and give love. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's a critique of the like artist muse relationship. Totally. Yeah. Totally. There were little moments where and I think it was intentionally done in this way. It was like what she was saying Sounded like the kind of thing that a woman who just wants to be with her husband more would say, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like it was very carefully constructed, like all the sort of dialogue Mm -hmm. to to make her seem like maybe she was just asking too much like maybe like this is just the deal he's a genius yeah yeah he's he's, so like you've got to just like accept it, which I thought was actually kind of funny and sort of made me appreciate the writing a little bit more because Mm -hmm. it did for the briefest of moments make her seem just like kind of like a jealous controlling Mm. partner who Mm -hmm. was like no 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 it's just it's just us us. we're supposed to live just live in this world yeah exactly and it's and but yeah if you look even slightly past the surface it's like it's very clear that he's a really terrible partner. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's really, he's not. It's a very terrible. one-sided relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Totally, totally. But um, no, but like that was, that was where my head went. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how this didn't occur to me before, but you know, you can really very easily compare that to The Shining, uh, that yeah. sort of relationship. Um, yeah. Like at no point when I watched the movie initially did that occur to me, but just now I'm thinking like, oh, that's a very obvious parallel. Also, the the kind of like being cooped up in a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And it's just yeah. us against the world out there. We're yeah. in the middle yeah. of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, there's more of a sense that Jack Torrance is going insane in tandem with his um, writer's block, which is not really something that I think is communicated by the Javier Bardem character. And we know Mother. a little bit more about the details of the location and The Shining, whereas yeah. it's left so right. ambiguous in Mother. And and one thing that's interesting is I forget which of the sons they have to take to the hospital, but where where is this? I mean, it's not important, but it's like we are viewing their home as, you know, it's on an island, essentially. Mm. But clearly, I mean, there must be some sort of society nearby to be able to take yeah. this guy to a hospital. I mean, that's what got the whole party started, right? Yeah. Was is there some semi proximity to a hospital yeah. like where are all these people coming from yeah, too exactly yeah i mean yeah yeah i mean i guess if, <laughs> that's you know amongst all the craziness that starts happening in that movie which i think also sort of made me think a lot about dream logic that starts mm-hmm. to take yeah. place when you're yeah, when you're exactly. watching a film where it's sort of unclear whether or not what you're seeing is some sort of fantasy or projection mm-hmm. or if it's actually reality or if it's 
meant to be some sort of twisted version of uh, reality that is supposed to really more or less reflect what the character's feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, dream logic is something that's worth bringing up with Aronofsky. And I haven't seen very many of his movies, but Black Swan is really the one to bring up in that regard because much of that movie, you know, it's a spoiler for people who haven't seen it, but, you know, much of that movie is spent with the Natalie Portman protagonist believing that, um, you know, this supposedly rival dancer of hers, played by Mila Kunis, is out to get her when really what we learn at the end of the movie is that Natalie Portman's character is just sabotaging herself the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she doesn't see it that way, and you as the viewer don't pick up on it immediately. Um, it, it takes a while to unfold. Sure. Yeah. I, I was going to say, too, that this movie also kind of reminded me a little bit of another film, and I don't know too much of this guy's work, to be honest. Uh, Luis Buñuel, he's another one of those guys who who's kind of pioneered the use of, you know, am I watching a dream? Am I watching mm-hmm. reality? Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie that I thought of a little bit when I was watching Mother was Belle du Jour. Which mm-hmm. I haven't seen. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's a good movie. There are many scenes in that movie that, that play out where the main character, and both of them are centered around uh, female protagonists who are clearly unhappy in their lives, and they start either calling back memories that they had from the past, or there are these brief moments where it seems like she's experiencing or stuck in a dream, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that something snaps her out of eventually. Uh, the thing that is distinct about this movie is that whatever is happening in the dream, it's like all these characters seem to be involved in, Mm -hmm. you know, and they all somehow seem to be on the same page, no matter how absurd it seems to get. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The reality, it seems like is never really broken. Like there's never really that kind of moment where someone feels disconnected. Obviously mother is kind of frantic in what is happening in my home by the end of it. But, I'm everyone else around her. It just seems so matter of fact, even at the point where there's a SWAT team coming like, it just, it just keeps rolling. It becomes total madness. Yeah. (laughs) Which was, which was was oddly kind of fun to watch unfold. Yeah. I don't know how you guys felt. Well, I, I, one thing, you know, regardless of any personal opinion I had about the movie, it was definitely clear that it was aiming I thought maybe a little more um, effectively in the first half of the movie, it was definitely aiming for some comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that especially with like the, you know, the sort of tone and pacing of the unwanted guests coming into the house, it felt very, um, there was something almost like slapsticky about it. I think like I'm kind of remembering that um, portion like near the beginning of the movie where uh, I think it's Donald Gleason and um, someone else come in and one of them beats the other to death. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like it's something. I mean, it's a horrible thing that they do, but I feel like it really was. You know, the, the rapidity of it really played it kind of for laughs almost. But funny enough, the yeah. other person is Brian Gleason. So oh really? It's actually yeah. I his, mean, these are brother. yeah Brendan Gleason's sons playing yeah. essentially the the Cain and Abel of this story. Yeah, yeah we could definitely yeah. go off of that and start talking about the biblical reference. To me, that was the most the most sort of obvious one. Yeah. It's like yeah. man and woman come in and, and yes, looking in retrospect, they're clearly Adam and Eve, but because it's at first presented as still very normal to an extent where it's like, Oh, I, I forget exactly what his excuse is for coming to the house. Um, you've seen it more recently. The, the father character. Yeah. Uh, the, his initial yeah, Harris. Yeah. Yeah. His, his initial explanation is that he's a doctor 
orthopedic surgeon mm-hmm. um, who is in residency or doing research at the nearby, quote unquote, don't yeah. know how close it is, <laughs> hospital. Um, but yeah, that's what, that's what gets the party yeah. started. And, and he's then looking, eventually it's yeah. like, oh, well, he's a fan, but, yeah. um, who's dying. Yes. Who's that's dying. The other thing. He's <laughs> but, dying. And clearly has some sort of esophageal Because issue. it starts initially as, oh, this is just a, a man stopping by a doctor in the area. Oh, he's a fan. Oh, he needs my help. You don't immediately necessarily, I think, pick up on the Adam and Eve, um, from him and Michelle Pfeiffer. And then I agree that when the sons come in. And, and particularly when they start getting violent, that's, that's where the metaphor really comes out. Mm-hmm. And, and now in retrospect, like, I don't think it occurred to me at the time, although now it feels so obvious of like the woman character, you know, going and actually like, I, I forget what she does, but she, she picks up the beloved crystal and this is, you know, the apple. Right. Mm, oh yeah. Yeah. There you go. That, that's yeah. pretty cool. Well then would that make the... Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer character, Adam, Adam and I Eve? I think they're Adam and Eve. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. With Javier Bardem being God, um, Jennifer Lawrence being Mother Earth, and then they've sort of created, particularly when you look at Mother has created this home. She is right. renovating the home. This is, I mean, it's referred to as his home, but she has done all the work putting yeah. it together in the same way that our earth does all the work housing us. Um, so then I think she, like they're welcoming or he's welcoming these people into his home that she has crafted and that she has cared for. I yeah. never thought about it that way, but I, I, I like that a lot. Um, on that subject, I know we've mentioned this at the pretty much at the top, but how good is Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie? She's so good. In this. She's so good. And she plays that, that character so well in the mm-hmm. beginning where she's like, oh, you know, I just, I tend to just ask questions that are too probing that make people uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's just who I am. Yeah. Oh, I can't help it. And then, oh my God, when she flips, she, she flips. tonal switch. Yeah, big time. Uh, to me, that was, that just kind of played into the whole aspect of what it's like to be a fan that has lost touch with reality. Mm-hmm. Right away, they assume that this artist is going to sort of appease them and also house them in their moment of grief mm-hmm. and sort of be like, well, this happened here. So, oh my God, please say something. It's so matter of fact that, well, all everyone we know is coming here to mourn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being so unbelievably out of touch um, with what is actually happening, which is that, there was a murder that was committed by their kids here, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that like it's it's a crime scene, mm-hmm. yeah, and not not a place yeah. that they should co-opt yeah, into being call like the police. yeah, <laughs> someone call the police. Well, yeah. someone clearly did because a SWAT team showed yeah, up there. It just it took them a while, oh. like an entire pregnancy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is speculative, but perhaps maybe like. Um, the portrayal of those characters speaks a little more to the personal dimension of the movie for Aronofsky because, you know, for him as a famous artist, maybe he, um, I don't know for a fact what his experience has been like in this sphere, but maybe he has dealt firsthand with uh, fans kind of like that. Possibly. One thing I'll say, and I looked slightly into this, is that he started a relationship with Jennifer Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. Mm -hmm. During production. During production of this film. And the other thing that sort of makes or lends some credibility to the, to me at least, and 
the way I'm interpret, choosing to interpret or place importance on the ways you could interpret this film um, is that they actually broke up shortly after the uh, publicity tour. Mm, yeah. That's the word I was looking for. And Jennifer Lawrence had said on record that the movie itself was very difficult to make. Then she has to talk about this movie. And then at night when they're in hotel rooms, her husband just wanted to keep, or her husband, her boyfriend Mm -hmm. at the time, wanted to just keep talking about this movie. Mm, And so she's like, I can't get away from this movie. Mm. And I feel like I need to, you know? Mm. And and so as a result, that was a place of friction, I guess, in their relationship. Which sounds a lot, honestly, like the kind of relationship that Jennifer Lawrence's mother character has with Javier Bardem's poet character, which is somebody who is kind of trapped in this world where the art of their partner becomes sort of tantamount in their lives. Yeah. Sort of starts to run it and that the rhythms of life revolve around its creation and it's the celebration of it. Yeah. Yeah. In that sense, you could see uh, the movie as almost a, allegory for their relationship too sure or some previous relationship that he might have had that started to play out again with with her and something that I found interesting that I had to kind of look up what movie she was referring to but I remembered this quote from her which I'm looking up now is about her talking actually on WTF about Phantom Thread and Mm. Marin kind of trying to convince her to give this movie a shot and her being like I don't need to see this movie I lived this And, and her kind of alluding to like uh, this being a similar kind of relationship um, explored as what she had with Aronofsky. Mm. Interesting. That is very interesting because yeah, that movie is like, again about some artist muse, a a very difficult sort of power structure dynamic there Yeah, where he's clearly married to his work and she again is muse. Very cool. One, one significant difference between those two movies though is that in Phantom Thread, and, and you know, this is again a spoiler for people mm-hmm. who haven't seen it, but the you know, the so-called Muse character who's played by Vicky Creeps, I think you pronounce her name, um, that she eventually gains the upper hand mm-hmm. over Daniel Day Lewis's character. She comes character. out on top. Right. <laughs> and yeah, eventually she yeah, so if it's a if it's a power struggle, she wins in a certain way. And it takes her a while, but she gets there. And um, which is not a dynamic that you really see in the film Mother. Yeah, yeah. Mother, in some respects, actually in many respects, loses. Yeah. (laughs) In a big way here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and it's interesting because those movies were released not far apart either. They're about, if I remember correctly, about three months apart. Those are two filmmakers I never really would have paired together before. (laughs) They Um, both are very close when roll call is being done. Yeah. Oh, just Anderson the, and Aronofsky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. Um, I guess maybe now in talking about the timing of the release, uh, maybe now is a good time to talk about reactions uh, or like my, at least my personal reaction to mother at the time of its release. And first, you know, cause this is a little briefer. I'll say that when I saw phantom thread, I really enjoyed that movie um, without much reservation at all. Uh, but mother, was, you know, I would say that when I, you know, just to preface, when I watch movies, usually I, um, I can, I feel like I'm a pretty generous critic of movies in that, like, I really am not going to go out of my way to look for flaws. Um, 
and you know, if you look at my letterbox account, for instance, you'll see most of the things I see, I rate five stars because I'm thinking, if it's you know a competently made thing that knows <laughs> what it is, um, it's very kind of you. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, it is. I, I am not always. I'm not willingly the harshest critic of movies. Mother was a movie that really confounded me when I first saw it, and I saw it. Um, Roughly when it was released, which was in September 2017, and it was one of very few in-theater experiences I've had where I felt like so overwhelmed by what I was watching that I saw it with a friend, not to mention someone who I you know, have an easy time talking about movies with, and normally after we saw things, we could get right into it. But this was one movie that for at least five minutes after it was over, we just could not say a single word. <laughs> Um, Sometimes a sign of a really good movie. Yes, it, it, yeah, and that can be. In this case, I feel like you know, just you know, before getting to any you know analysis of the content, I feel like viscerally, like especially with the last uh, fifteen or so minutes of that movie, it was so intense that I just like w- felt totally battered after watching. Yeah, it. Yeah, that's like a movie where you kind of want to call your mom after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. just need some comfort. Absolutely. Oh, that's, oh, that's a poetic choice of, of analogy there. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. But uh, so, you know, on a visceral level, it just felt very hard to process. And I think my, my consideration at the time was that, okay, this is evidently a very competently made movie. Um, in terms of craft, it knows exactly what it is. I think maybe I was kind of phased by, you know, the sort of lack of redemptive qualities of the movie that it really has has a very um, bleak ending where the dominating male character wins. And I thought, I guess I was un, I was unsure as to um, the direction that that pointed, whether it was really a movie that, you know, effectively critiqued its characters or was indulging in... Um, in, in some of its qualities. It was indulging in the, you know, the worst tendencies of these characters. I just was very unsure of what, what, what to make of it. And I think ultimately, like, you have to question, does he win? I mean, yes, he does. He is the one that, you know, survives to see another cycle. Mm-hmm. But I, I think our assumption can be that he's been trapped in this particular cycle. He, yeah. he continues to be uninspired. Like he continues to be kind of a failing writer. Yes. He continually has these beautiful wives that love him unconditionally mm-hmm. that ultimately does not fulfill him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She's the one that gets to say, I am done. I am out of this. I am not, I've had enough. But she does so by paying with her heart, yeah. right? Yeah. And she even freely accepts it at the end, right? She's the one who, at the end, decides to, to blow up everything. Yeah. And uh, in in doing so, maims herself to the point where she's like, there's nothing left for me here. Yeah. yeah. I can't do anything, so you might as well just take this mm-hmm. heart that will become a crystal yeah. for you mm-hmm. to put on a mantle. And certainly she does not win in this either. Mm-hmm. I would just say, I don't know that either of them truly win. Yeah. But I still see which, your point. Yeah, which speaks, I think, to the, the bleak feeling that you get. Right. Is that, right. It, it's a sort of this, like you say, um, you know, he's trapped in this cycle and she's paid with it for mm-hmm. with her life. Or mm-hmm. maybe not her life, but her uh, her her ability to love unconditionally, mm-hmm. let's yeah. say. 
there were ways in which I felt like after seeing it, there were some things I felt were very easy to understand about it. And there were some things I really couldn't wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. And maybe I was a little too fixated on the, this question of like, what, like what point is this trying to make? And then about two weeks after that movie comes out and I saw it very close to the release, suddenly the Harvey Weinstein allegations come out and the me too movement begins. And it, you know, there's this whole reckoning on toxic masculinity and um, I, maybe it was a combination of the visceral intensity of that movie combined with the subject matter, the relationship it portrays. I think I had the feeling then that this is not the right movie to consider in this moment. Yeah, and because there is a power imbalance between these two characters ultimately and mm-hmm. that he always has the final say. Like he, yes. nobody listens to her right. <laughs> anything Definitely she says not. throughout the whole film. And so whether or not like toxic masculinity plays... Um, is a factor in this there is the you know the man in power and and the woman who is ultimately um at his whim yeah yeah to me it felt less like it was targeting masculinity and more towards just like selfishness yeah Yeah. and it's interesting because you know the baby angle can definitely further this idea that it's toxic masculinity over femininity right you could look at it that way but you can also look at it as just a useful symbol of something that you and your partner create yourselves Mm -hmm. and that only you and your partner create, Mm -hmm. you know, something that's intimate about the relationship between two people, as opposed to this intimate thing, having to compete with the art, the other Mm -hmm. things that get created. Yeah. Peripherally, in ultimately, a even with when they have the child, he still he wants other people to still shower him with with praise and love. It's still not enough for him to just have her and their beautiful child. He still needs to say like, oh, but the people they want to see. And then obviously that goes back to the biblical allegory of this film. Like this, the child is Jesus. The child is killed by humanity. Um, so that's that's another aspect of bringing the child in in the sense of shock value too i feel like that was the part of the movie that really got to me oh yeah definitely yeah Yeah, just like you know because when you know the baby finally is born it's very close to the end of the movie and the baby is only present for you know it can't be more than a few minutes of the Mm -hmm. runtime because i mean i you know i'm a little hazy on the exact details but i think like the baby's born and there's this scene Um, She's locked herself in the room. Mm -hmm. She's locked herself in the room and, you know, she's um, cradling the baby, uh, Jennifer Lawrence is, and it eventually comes to this scene where Javier Bardem is kind of just like staring at her from a chair in the same room and, you know, it's, there's a, you can see it in his eyes that, you know, he eventually like, he's kind of saying like, give me the baby Mm -hmm. um, with his expression. And then it eventually leads to this, um, you know, this very violent debacle where, um, the baby is brought out to these cultish fans um, out in the exterior, uh, within the house, but the exterior of that room. And then is, and then the baby is very rapidly sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and brutally at that. Too. Yeah, like the the head snaps back. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty, pretty... You were asking me about what it feels like to watch this movie as a parent. I was very curious and about that. <laughs> and that, that, that's one aspect that comes in. Is it, It's like not entertaining to watch that in the slightest from a technical crafts perspective. Um, There's no amount of that that makes that feel good. (laughs) And I don't think you necessarily need to be a parent to feel that way. 
the fragility of a newborn is something that you yourself feel so entrusted yeah. with. Um, and so, yeah, so watching, you know, a baby just kind of getting passed along and then suddenly ripped apart. And then pretty it, awful. Yeah. It, I mean, it also makes me think of train spotting, which also oh, has yeah. a yes, horrifying yeah. scene regarding a baby. Yeah. <laughs> From in a completely different context, but yeah, you know, even as, as, um, a non-parent, uh, like, yeah, it's, it's just, just from uh, a human, yeah, from a human, human point of view, it's absolutely gut wrenching to watch. Yeah. Um, and so to the extent that Darren Aronofsky aimed to really be like, you know, um, to use an expression you used earlier, punk with the movie to really, you know, beat you over the head with it. I mean, it worked Mm -hmm. and you know, even like I had only at that point seen black swan beforehand. And even so I did not know what I was in for. And maybe what also affected my initial reaction to the movie, um, you know, within such a short span of time, I saw two movies that left me absolutely speechless in kind of a horrified way after watching them in the theater, which is something that does not happen to me often. And I see a lot of movies. Um, And yeah, about a month before that movie came out, I had seen uh, Catherine Bigelow's film Detroit, and which on the surface has nothing to do with Mother. I mean, it's, you know, the subject matter is very, very different. And whereas Mother is a, you know, an allegory on many fronts, Detroit aims to be, um, a depiction of something real. Historical. Uh, right? Yeah, it's historical. Yeah. And, um, you know, it depicts a massacre that occurred during the Detroit riots of 1967 at the Algiers Motel, in which three people were killed at the hands of the police. And it's um, a very long, drawn-out um, display of the violence that occurred in that scene, or in, the, in that situation. And the question that I was asking myself after watching that movie I guess somewhat similarly to Mother is whether this movie is, you know, kind of like exposing something or indulging in it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it seemed there was an extent to which while, you know, in terms of intention, that movie um, Detroit seemed designed to kind of call out um, the systemic injustice um, that occurs within its um, within its story arc. It, you know, it's it's sort of, there's a point where it sort of assumes that the viewer understands that and then is just displaying the violence in a sort of like detached, almost journalistic sort of way. And it really makes you wonder like, is it worth assuming that of the viewer? And it it just feels indulgent at a certain point to the point that it's gratuitous. So you're saying that there is an aspect of the craft of the movie and the care with which it seems to create its world Mm -hmm. or to depict what's happening that can make it feel like you say indulgent in some ways or perhaps indulgent because it's trying to say something right Mm -hmm. and And is is it indulgence for the sake of indulgence or indulgence because being that technically well constructed it's going to make its point Clear. Yeah, like yeah. I, I look at this as indulgence for the sake of the larger metaphor that, mm-hmm. as he says, number one is environmentalism. Ultimately, with her representing Mother Earth and humanity destroying her home and this just escalation of ultimately, I mean, global warming more or less. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think that ultimately it's working towards the greater metaphor that I think makes it work for me rather than just feel like gratuitous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the fact that it can be 
that we can talk about it in these many ways yeah. and that even it was that it was constructed in a way to be it works on different levels yeah it works it works yeah. on different levels exactly mm-hmm. um i would put this out there or i would ask you guys mm-hmm. on a scale of 1 to 10 how much do we actually like the film <laughs> you know cuz i do cuz i do think it's interesting i do think it's an interesting movie to talk about um but then i guess to your point about like whether something is indulgent for a point or indulgent to be indulgent is the is the movie actually good, even though it's something that we have fun talking about? I mean, this is a tough film to enjoy, yeah, <laughs> because of everything we've talked about. Yeah, but, but it to the question of is this a quote unquote good movie? I think it's a very well made film. Yeah. I find the pacing fascinating because Me too. obviously it has this like you know intense crescendo towards the end but I think it's really well paced in the first half as well mm-hmm. with them starting alone and then the the man and woman coming in oh and then the the sons and then there's a fight and then the mourners but then you also like I, I it's been about a year since I've seen it but at that point like when she finds out she's pregnant like they leave right yes yeah, so though it kind of happens a little bit before yeah at some point in the mourner's presence in the home things reach a breaking point with her and the poet and she basically says she's well she says you say that you want kids but we don't have sex right (laughs) and that seems to Either wake anger him, him or yeah. wake him up. Because that's kind of an attack on his masculinity. I think he can look at it that a- way. Absolutely. You could absolutely look at it that way, for sure. Yeah. That's probably the most aggressive thing that she, that she ever says yeah. to him in that movie. Um, and it, it clearly does anger him. I don't know what kind of what kind of uh, romantic uh, rhythms their life had before, but that mm-hmm. was definitely a particularly angry um, start to... Um, to intercourse. And then you get <laughs> and then you get this kind of reprieve. And Emilio, you mentioned that you actually watched this movie in two parts. I did. Because you're a very busy person. So yeah. is this where you broke it up? Not quite. I got to about the part where Kristen Wiig comes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not like a huge Kristen Wiig fan. I, th- I do think she's very talented. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you seen Barb and Star? No, but I've heard I've that. I've not seen that either. Got, got. Okay. You guys have got to watch. Okay, yeah. okay. All I right. have, I've been, you know, hit or miss on Kristen Wiig myself, but I am totally sold by her in that movie, which probably could not be more different from this movie we're talking about. Yeah. But I just want to throw that recommendation. Please do. On the, you know, speak. Actually, um, going a little bit off um, the casting of Mother. I mean, I would not have noticed this the first time I saw it, but looking at the Wikipedia entry after the fact, I noticed that um, Emily Hampshire, who plays Stevie on Schitt's Creek, mm-hmm. is in the movie as well. Um, and Schitt's Creek was already um, airing by the time that Mother would have been made. And that was, you know, a, a, you know, a crossover that I completely missed, you know, the first time seeing it that I would notice now. Who, who is she in the film? Sorry, I, I, I didn't do I a whole lot of... She's somewhere in this kind of back half, right, where it's escalated so much. I can't really remember, to be honest, but... There are a couple, quote-unquote, fans that sort of have, like, speaking yeah, lines. the people that break the sink or... Whatever. Yeah, exactly, break the sink, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or the guy who's like ripping um, pieces of like wood boards, off the wall, yeah. boards off the wall. What, what does he say to that? I he mean, says, like, he said I could have it. Or uh, yeah, like no, that. no. He he says in that moment, proof that we were here. Oh. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. 
It's another, yeah. funny enough, it's another, um, I guess, more superficial parallel that you can draw with a Paul Thomas Anderson movie to um, The Master, that, because there's a scene in that where, where Freddie Quell, um, Joaquin Phoenix's character, and then um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, I'm struggling to remember his name at the moment, but they're in prison. And, oh, yeah. Um, Very famous sequence. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Joaquin Phoenix proceeds it. to bludgeon a sink yeah. um, and destroy it. And like a bunk bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll come back to the original question. Yeah. I guess on a scale of one to 10, where do you guys place this movie? I, I do think it is, in many senses, a really good, well-made movie. Um, and I would, on a scale of one to 10, uh, probably give it like a 7.5, I would say. You know, it's hard to justify the arbitrariness of some of these selections, but sure. I feel like it's, you know, I, I am allowing some room for like the, um, in that rating for, you know, the memory of my initial reaction to it and the sense that this is a movie that, um, you know, opinions can evolve about. Yeah. Do you think at the time of viewing, you would have rated this lower? <laughs> I, not necessarily. I think I would have said maybe more on a craft level, I would have given it a 7.5, but on a content level, I would have, I probably would have just given no comment. Um, <laughs> this doesn't get a five-star review on Letterboxd. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I yeah. think, no, in fact, it is somewhere on my Letterboxd. I think I gave it like a three-and-a-half star. Maybe, you know, maybe in the sense of quality, too. Um, it's more a personal preference, but maybe there are different sorts of, like, pacing and um, sort of, you know, aesthetic qualities of a movie that appeal to me a bit more. Maybe, like, it's not, you know, completely my cup of tea, but, you know, I can respect the fact that it is a very competently uh, made, well-acted, well-edited um, sort of movie. And actually, just to kind of finish off that point, you know, I had my reaction at the time of its release. And But one thing that I did think about it that I did not think about the Catherine Bigelow film, Detroit, was, you know, maybe if I re-examine this at a different point in time, I might feel differently. Yeah. As, you know, culture has changed and, you know, I have you know, become a considerably more mature human being. I feel like I can see a lot more of what that movie was going for, maybe with less, um, you know, less apprehension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to come back to your, your point about the pacing, cause I totally agree. This movie is oddly paced, but it's also kind of like perfectly paced yeah. Yeah. because exactly. it's very, it's very unnerving. One of the visuals that, keeps sort of coming back in the film is sort of walking through the front door mm-hmm. or like staring mm-hmm. through the front door yeah. and that the front door is kind of this place of like reflection, but also this sort of like impending like doom. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing, there's never a moment where the characters are comfortable mm-hmm. at or find peace when they look out the front door at what is supposed to be this like serene mm-hmm. nature. Yeah. And she feels trapped. Like yeah. other characters come and go. Mm-hmm. She is, I think the only character to stay in the home, the whole mm-hmm. film. Yeah. 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 And I will say, I think Jennifer Lawrence is incredible in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I think her she performance understands the assignment. She definitely does. You know, she, she, wears a lot on her face but then also these like long shots that kind of show her very isolated wherever Mm -hmm. she is you know um there are a couple moments where the camera just sort of follows her from behind Mm -hmm. and for like a long time totally yeah 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 but it's like and you see her just kind of like trapped in this Mm -hmm. in this like endless loop of just like servitude 
But the, the pacing was great. And I also feel like the reveals, the way the, the movie moves when they're inciting it or incidents that are kind of meant to sort of push the narrative, they always happen as and feel like disruptions. Yeah. It's like I'm thinking of the uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character when she goes, what, what's that room? It happens so quickly on the cutting to and from um, is really jarring, mm-hmm. but it's sort of meant to kind of cue you in on like, uh, something is going to happen yeah, here. Something's about yeah. To so there's a lot of, there's a lot in the, in the, how the movie's made that I think um, it help, helps it feel like you're kind of in this death spiral. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. um, yeah. I would rate this movie, I think a tiny bit higher. Mm-hmm. I actually really enjoyed this movie. And I feel like this is a movie that I'd love to come back to like two or three years from now mm-hmm. and just see how I feel. Yeah. And I also feel like I would rate this movie around an eight, maybe eight point five, yeah. if I'm feeling generous. I, I kind of feel like eight or eight point five. Was yeah, for me too. But it's yeah. interesting because, like, Julian, you and I have have always kind of fallen on on different sides of this film, yeah. even though ultimately our ratings are not that vastly different. Yeah. And I think the first time you told me that you weren't a huge fan of this movie, I I was surprised by that because, uh, although I understand all of your reasonings that we've talked about, but because you and I, I think have in common that we like a movie that's like a big swing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like yeah. We, we've both recently seen Bo is Afraid, which mm. is similar where it's just like, you just need to buckle up and go along for the ride yeah. and like not, not question it and like, just let it happen. Um, and, and, that's another film and and another one that comes to mind is men that's like mm-hmm. these are other films that have been incredibly divisive in yeah. the last few years where people have seen these films and come away from them with with very intense opinions yeah. and these are all films mm. that i liked <laughs> yeah yeah i mean but yeah it's it's a good point though and yeah i do like yeah i mean i couldn't say it better myself a big swing mm-hmm. that i mean you know i am the sort of person that when people talk about um, you know, like other people will watch a David Lynch movie and say, like, I didn't get it. I'm, you know, I'm the person who says I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, even for all of the confusion and seemingly contradictory, contradictory elements that exist within them, I just, I can't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I can understand that reaction. And it's funny. I, I know we're not really going to get into much talk on the whale because you haven't seen it, and yeah, I don't sorry. think I fully processed my thoughts. But I actually, after watching the whale, I said, I think this makes me like Mother less, just because, just because it actually like it, it almost soured me a little bit on Aronofsky as a filmmaker. And that might be a little bit harsh, but I'm, my point is that I think when I first saw Mother, I probably would have given it a nine. And I've actually come down from that a little bit since initial viewing. Was there something about what happened in The Whale that made you go, okay, there's something about the DNA of this filmmaker that yeah. is making me go, or making me rethink something about this past film that I, I thought. Yeah, that- I, I think that part of it for me is the fact that The Whale is a film written by and directed by and starring and based on a play ab- about 
a fat person all by non-fat people. Mm, yeah. So it's one of those situations where it's like, this does feel exploitative because it's a playwright who is not fat. And then a filmmaker who is not fat starring yeah. an actor in a fat suit. Mm. And I think ultimately that's where it feels exploitative to me where it's like, well, did you actually have like the lived experience of fat people in the making of this film? And I think then it kind of made me think about Jennifer Lawrence's comments mm, on her yeah. terrible experience in the making of Mother mm, yeah, that we've yeah. alluded to a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And like I said, I still defend Mother and I still overall like Aronofsky as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, I, but that was kind of my initial reaction to The Whale. <laughs> Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting perspective, which uh, honestly I didn't fully consider until now. Um, yeah, that you know, this all coming from you know artists who do not have the lived experience of obesity, um, and I think one other dimension of the whale that has certainly come up is that if you um, you know if you think about it less from the perspective of um, the physical appearance and embodiment of its main character if you look at it from an emotional angle it um i've heard some people say it works a little better that way where like when you consider what brendan fraser has gone through you know mm -hmm. in a you know it's very publicly well known the the turmoil that he had to deal with for many many years and you know seeing this as kind of the like meta textual yeah. reading yeah. of brendan fraser as like a as somebody who was handicapped maybe right. in hollywood but yeah, it's like, you know, sort of the parallels of, you know, like, I, I think I've even heard him speak about this in interviews that he like was able to bring some very distinctly personal elements to the emotional aspect of that movie. Actually, to, to go a little bit into um, like other things I've heard about Aronofsky's way of working, I, I, I don't I mean this evidently was not completely true for Mother, but I have heard that for The Whale that he was like with all of his actors, very like easygoing that he would like do these morning meditations with them. Um, like I think I heard Hong Chow speak about this. Um, and She's great yeah. in the whale. I think yeah, she, she is, is yeah. the best actor. Like she gives the best performance. I, I might that, agree with that. that movie. Yeah, that she, she's great in that movie. Um, and even though like the obesity of its main character is probably the most you know, like saliently featured aspect of that movie, that there really is a lot going on there that has nothing to do with that. There's like um, the main character's relationship with his daughter, which is fraught for you know, completely, reasons completely independent of that. There's this young um, missionary, missionary who's trying to proselytize him um, to kind of bring the biblical stuff into it. Um, and yeah, so it really is like, um, there's a lot going on in that movie. And I feel like, you know, perhaps maybe to actually draw a comparison in my assessment um, of that with Mother, like I feel like it's hard to look at it just one way. I, I think there really is a lot going on to consider there. I think the last point you mentioned there was a pretty good one in terms of um, movies that that have more than just what you feel like is happening on the surface. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my engagement with this movie, I tried to keep sort of surface level because mm -hmm. I feel like they, there was so much going on. It was such an assault by the and end of the movie yeah. on your senses that I felt like I just to sort of keep making sense of things. Mm -hmm. I was like, let me keep it right here. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like the movie worked. Mm -hmm. I, th I thought really well on that level. Um, and in hearing you guys talk, I feel like it works rather nicely on an environmental level. Mm -hmm. I think it works rather well on a biblical level. 
yeah, I mean, I do think this is like a very solid eight, maybe mm-hmm. an eight, yeah. an eight point five, depending on depending on the day. Yeah, yeah. I I I rather, I rather enjoyed it. I'm grateful that you guys felt slightly divided or divided enough. Um, <laughs> Just about half a point yeah. to one point. To yeah, <laughs> it's a consequential half point there. <laughs> I guess so. I guess yeah. so. But divided enough that we uh, we felt like it was important to. To bring it up, <laughs> and for and for me to engage with it for the first time, so yeah, I guess this is a nice natural place to sort of put a bow on this. I yeah, so. and I would say too that I mean I think I am uh, much more intrigued to rewatch it than I might have been before talking about mm-hmm. it. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Well, it's funny because I sort of feel like my initial feeling watching it was like man, do I want to watch this movie again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I really do. Like, this is yeah. so unsettling um, as the kind of final third act of the film unfolds. But I think I came away from it feeling like there was there was a world to revisit. There were details to keep mining. I think it is a movie, like I said, I think in a couple of years, I'd love to sort of see it again and see how I feel. Yeah. And maybe I'll be in a, a better place. Maybe in those years, the climate crisis will take this <laughs> dramatic upturn in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and or we'll pass the Green New Deal and we'll just feel really optimistic. Maybe so. Yeah. And maybe we can just think about it as artists being really self-centered. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's it. I'm not yeah. sure. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. It's been great day. Yeah, thank agreed. you for thank you for indulging me on this. Yeah. Maybe we'll find another one of these uh, to do. We'll find some other angle yeah. to sort of take and have a conversation on. And thank you for proposing this Maybe idea. We'll, we'll we'll do this again sometime yeah, soon. We'll yeah. All right. 